Hi everyone, it's Jeremy from The Storage Papers. I just wanted to take an opportunity to let you know about all the things we've added this season. In addition to our new website, we've added a Facebook group and a YouTube channel with captions, as well as information about the show on the website itself. In addition, each episode released for Season 2 has unique episode art. And we now have full episode transcripts available on our website if you'd like to read along while you listen. The Storage Papers is free to listen to, but it's not necessarily free to create. If you feel so inclined, we now have a donation option up on the website where you can give a one-time donation for what you think the show is worth. Every penny does help. There is also a limited supply of stickers for purchase there too, measuring 3 by 3 inches, of the Storage Papers logo going for $5. And if you don't necessarily have the means to financially support the show, you can still do so by sharing our social media posts with your friends. I'll be doing a random drawing to give away five of our stickers to anyone who shares a social media post about the show and tags us between now and September 12th, 2020. Thank you so much for sticking with the show through all of the COVID drama, and I hope you enjoy the remaining episodes of Season 2. This podcast frequently contains graphic depictions and other topics or material that may be considered sensitive for some listeners. Nightmares, anxiety, and or difficulty sleeping may ensue. Discretion is advised. You're listening to The Storage Papers. Episode 20, The Overnight. One of the top fears people have is being alone. Another is meeting new people. Two seemingly opposite fears that can come together and create some sort of uber-fear. One such job where these two fears can join is in the hospitality industry. The overnight shift. One person left alone to take care of dozens of strangers. What could possibly go wrong? Statement of Sandra R. Cantry to the Stone Park Police Department, SPPD, May 23, 1998. I worked at the Homecoming Inn and Suites. I was the night shift employee. Four nights a week, I would come in from 10 p.m. to 8 a.m. It was easy money. I basically just sat around. My nightly schedule went as follows. Check in the evening stragglers looking for a room and watch a little television at my desk. 
Plus, one more thing I'll get to later. The stragglers were easy. Usually, they were truck drivers just having finished unloading their cargo to the local stores that needed a place to lay their heads for the night before heading back out to do it all over again the next day. The television was a bit more difficult. It was a 5-inch set, supposedly portable. The problem was that anytime you moved even an inch of the antenna, it would jiggle and the picture would turn all wavy. As long as the guests weren't too needy, calling in for towels and wake-up calls, I could watch Letterman and Conan, undisturbed. The channel change could be difficult, so I'd usually miss the last seconds of the Letterman's musical guest to make sure I saw Conan's monologue. It was nearing 11.30 and the local CBS news was wrapping up. I didn't pay close attention to the fluff piece they always seemed to end with because a man had entered through the front door. He came over to the desk, and I turned down the volume on my television, scrambling the picture in the process. He didn't say anything at first, just staring at the board on the wall behind me that spelled out our nightly rates. I initiated the conversation with the forced BS the management makes us say, Welcome to the Homecoming Inn and Suites. We hope to make you feel like you've come home. He continued staring at the board for a few more seconds until his hand went into his pocket, and he pulled out a mess of crumpled bills and coins. Then he said, one night, keep the change. I finished up with him by giving him a key card to room 312, and he was off. Room 312 was one we set aside each night for a specific type of guest. You see, 312 is the crap room. TV only gets the local channels. The toilet only goes down properly every third flush. And the bed hasn't been replaced since man first walked on the moon. It's a room for only the creepiest of clientele. And that night's Mr. 312 fit the bill. I just wasn't sure why. Something about his look. I went back to my TV fixing the static and turning the volume back up. Letterman was just coming on. The announcer saying that tonight's guests are Harry Connick Jr. and Hank Azaria. Dave came out and began telling his jokes. I laughed a couple times. The top 10 list was just about to start when the phone rang. I waited for the third ring to answer, taking the phone from its cradle. I didn't want to have to mess with the TV reception again, so... I took the phone as far as the cord would reach, which wasn't far. The caller wasn't Mr. 312 dissatisfied with his accommodations, as I feared it might be. It was a couple in 305, our honeymoon suite. Not that we ever really got any honeymooners at this hotel. Mostly anniversaries, some affairs. The couple just wanted fresh towels brought up. I grabbed two from our linen closet and headed to the elevator. The doors opened with a ding. The elevator was old-fashioned, with emphasis on the word old. If it was ridden too much, it began putting a burning smell in the air. There were three numbered buttons, sort of. The two and three were relatively clear to make out, but the one had long ago faded away, 
with only the tip left looking like an apostrophe. The first floor featured the front desk, dining area, gym, formerly a pool that we had to fill in, etc. The second floor was where the family rooms went. Two beds, half of the rooms connected. The third floor was two floors in one. To the left of the elevator, from the perspective of getting off on that floor, were the single rooms. To the right, our suites. We had two honeymoon suites. They each had a hot tub in the middle of the room for God knows what reason. I rode the elevator up to the third floor and found room 305. handed them the towels. They gave me a tip. Two dollars. People here don't do that. Almost made up for missing some of Letterman. I began walking back to the elevator and as the doors were opening, I noticed a light at the other end flicker out. In the darkness, it seemed that there was someone standing there staring at me, but then the light returned. Nothing was there. I entered the elevator and returned to the first floor. Then I finished Letterman and Conan undisturbed. It was time for me to do a part of the job I hated most, rounds. My job entailed two aspects. One, to do all the duties of a hotel employee. Two, be a security guard. Not really, but sort of. Every hour or two, I was supposed to go outside and walk the premises. Then I was to do the same inside, up and down each hall, check to make sure nobody was trying to crash for the night, go to the second and third floors and make sure nobody was doing anything in the halls. It was easy, but it was also time consuming. Time I'd rather be spending watching infomercials like the new OxyClean thing. I grabbed my flashlight and headed outside. I began by walking around the outside of the hotel. The night was chilly for late May. Clouds were in the sky. The trees rustled with wind. The parking lot was unusually full. I had gotten dropped off by the employee entrance around the back, so I hadn't seen earlier. Nothing seemed amiss on the outside, so I returned to my desk. Something seemed off, and for a minute I couldn't put my finger on it. Then I noticed the noise. the static of the TV. That itself wasn't unusual. That the TV was on its side was. I righted the TV and turned it off, figuring I'd turn it back on after rounds. I used the elevator for every other part of my duties except for rounds. I'd put on some weight over the last couple years, so for rounds, the stairs would do. I walked over the stairs pretending to check each door along the way, in case management put cameras up somewhere, but stopping and entering one room, the old pool. It was a good-sized space. A shame we had to close it down after the accident. No one even died, just sued the shit out of the hotel. The old owners went into bankruptcy after. It was probably just in my mind, but I could swear the smell of chlorine still lingered in the air. Some nights it even sounded like I could hear the water splashing about. Now we only use it for storage. 
If anyone ever wanted to steal 10 years worth of tiny bars of soap, then this would be the place for them. Also, we kept the lost and found boxes in here. I looked in one. It was a Game Boy some kid must be crying his eyes out for forgetting laid on top. I should remember to snatch that at the end of the shift before anyone else gets to it. There were a lot of cigarette lighters and the smokes themselves. One was an old Zippo, monogrammed on the side with the initials ARC, same as my dad's. Arthur Reginald Cantry, died 37, lung cancer. I shoved the Zippo into my pocket and started back towards the stairs. On exiting the pool area, I heard the ringing from the phone at my desk. I ran over, nearly out of breath from the short jog, thinking to myself that I should start taking the stairs every time I needed to go up and down them. I made it to the phone at the fifth, maybe sixth ring. I said hello, front desk speaking. There was no sound from the other side, then a voice from the other end of the line. One night, keep the change. It was Mr. 312. The eerie thing being that he said the phrase exactly like he did earlier. Same non-inflection, same underlying creepiness in every word. I've been taught to be polite to the guests, so I said back, Is there anything I can do for you? The other end hung up. I stood there for a moment, just standing and taking the odd exchange in. Then I put the phone back down and noticed my TV was back on its side. No time to write it. I had a place to be. I grabbed the pepper spray from my purse. Never leave home without it. My mom got me one with an alcohol base, thinking it would be more effective. I'm no scientist, so I don't know if she's right or not. I didn't plan on using the pepper spray, but it'd be nice to have just in case. I headed for the elevator, forgetting my promise to use the stairs more. As the elevator dinged, the phone began to ring again. I headed back over and said, hello, out of ritual. The other end of the line went right to it. One night, keep the change, said in the same way again. This time I hung up the phone before Mr. 312 could. I headed back to the elevator, the door still open, and I got in, pressing the button for the third floor. I was angry. I don't like being messed with. I was off to see what this guy's problem was. I got out on the third floor and noticed the same thing as before. The light was out, and there I was, not having brought the flashlight with me. I started to walk slowly down the darkened hallway. I knew the place well enough to make it to the door, but that didn't become necessary because just as I entered the darkness, the light started flickering. On off, on off, on off. I timed my movements with the movements of the light and made it to the door for 312. I stood there for a second, still angry, but becoming aware that this man on the other side of the door was far larger than me. What was I going to do if this turned physical? 
probably scream a bunch and hope 310 or 314 might come to help a damsel in distress. Before I knew that I'd made a decision to continue, I was knocking at the door. But not really knocking, because the door just creaked open the second my fist met it. I stepped inside and said hello. A reply came in the form of two sentences I'd become sick of. One night, keep the change. My pace slowed with each step, floorboards creaking under each and every one. I'd made it far enough that I could see the bed, and the man standing on top of it, Mr. 312. There was blood gushing from his eyes. It streamed down his body and pooled by his feet. In each eye was a spring from the bed below. I could see the holes in the mattress from where they'd been taken out. Mr. 312 was motionless except for his mouth. That wouldn't stop moving, saying the same two sentences over and over again like a broken record. One night, keep the change. One night, keep the change. One night, keep the change. I didn't know exactly what to say, so I said the only thing that popped into my head. What change? You gave exactly the right amount, asshole. This may have not been the smart thing to say, because motionless Mr. 312 was moving more than just his mouth. His head turned to me. It seemed like he was staring at me, the way he'd stared at the board when he first entered the hotel. Then he took a step forward, and I was booking it out that door into the flickering light of the hall. Except it wasn't flickering anymore. I came out the door into darkness. The elevator seemed forever away, and the light on the other side of the hall even further than forever. I ran into the black anyway, hearing the possibly alive but can't be Mr. 312. He ran behind me more than keeping pace, his long legs allowing him to gain on me quickly. I got to the elevator, hoping I could press the button for the first floor, and the doors would close before he reached me, but when I got to the doors, the elevator was no longer there. Someone must have called it from another floor. I didn't have time to think of another plan and just ran toward the light at the other end. One thought did come through my mind in these next paces. I was fast enough to get to the stairs, but he would overtake me on them. I needed somewhere else to go, and found it looking at the doors I was passing as I ran. I stopped abruptly and knocked on the door of 305. It opened to my touch in the same way 312 had. I didn't have time to be suspicious this time and entered. I closed the door behind. Mr. 312 started banging from the other side. I walked slowly into the main area of the suite, expecting to find the couple sleeping in the king-size bed. They weren't sleeping, nor were they in bed. The male of the couple was in the hot tub. The hot tub bubbling away, steam coming up into the air almost masking his appearance, but not enough. I could see the blistering all over his body. Burns had formed, 
and a mixture of pus and blood was seeping from each pustule. The female was in no better shape. She hung from the ceiling fan. The towels turned into a makeshift noose, her feet dangling in the hot tub, looking to be just as burned as her male counterpart. They were both very obviously dead, and that's when I remembered the other dead guy. His knocking was growing louder at the door. The doors were old and wooden. They wouldn't last forever. I needed yet another plan, but again, had no time to think because the dead were coming back. The male got up, his skin sliding from his legs like a pair of unbelted pants falling from a waist. He tugged at the female, ripping the fan from the ceiling, but the knotted towels stayed connected to both fan and neck. The female began moving too, dragging the fan along with her as she did. I was trapped between the dead couple and the door. Neither side of the door seemed great anymore, but I needed to make a choice between the two. Die in 305, or chance that I could, somehow, get past Mr. 312. I'd have to chance it. I went over to the door and timed my opening. He knocked on the other side, and as he readied his next knock, I opened the door. I grabbed his arm and pulled, luckily catching him off balance and pulling him down into the door. His legs gave out from under him and he fell. I jumped over him and ran for the stairs. I've never been a very good runner, but I would have made the Olympic track team in that moment, getting to the stairs in record time. And then, just like in every horror movie ever made, I tripped. I fell down half a flight of stairs. I laid there dazed but conscious, my right ankle feeling unusual. I looked down and saw it at an angle it should not have been at. Then I saw shadows hit the doorway above. I looked up to see the three dead guests beginning their descent towards me. I tried getting up, but the pain from my ankle was too much. I fell back onto the step. They were nearing me. I looked around and saw nothing helpful to get me out of the situation. I reached into my pockets and found two items. My pepper spray and the Zippo lighter. Alone, neither was useful to me right at that moment, but together they might be. I aimed the pepper spray toward them with my left hand, and with my right hand lit the lighter, turning the two into a makeshift flamethrower. I swept the flamethrower back and forth, making sure it hit all three of them, and it did. They caught quickly. Even the towels attached to the female's neck caught, but it only slowed them. The three human balls of flame continued toward me, while also catching the railing and all other surrounding areas on fire. I got up onto my good leg and hoped for the best. I hopped each stair and made it all the way down to the second floor in another decision. I could try to keep hopping down the stairs, or I could try for the elevator. My sprained or broken ankle wouldn't be any help, and those few hops to that level left my other one hurting too. I entered the second floor and limped my way down the hall, 
while holding onto the wall for some added support. Both of my ankles cried out in pain, but the choice between death and pain was an easy one. I made it to the elevator and pressed the button. As I waited for it to get to the second floor, I looked back for the first time. The three balls of fire were still coming my way, and the flames continued to spread along the walls. I followed the flames' paths with my eyes and noticed something disconcerting. Every door on this level was open. New dead guests exited from those open doors, each obviously dead in all manners of ways. One had a glass shard from a television protruding from his neck. The other had only the tip of a remote control peeking out from inside his throat. The elevator dinged as the mess of new faces began running for me. I got in and pressed the button for the first floor a million times before the door finally closed and left me in relative safety. The journey down was fast, though I could smell the burning smell that sometimes came from the elevator. Or, and this was probably more likely, the burning smell may be coming from the second floor. I got out of the elevator and fell to the floor. Neither ankle would be much use anymore. I crawled along the floor and out into the night. I looked up when I was far enough away and saw that all of the second and third floors were now ablaze. I thought about going back in and calling 911 from the phone and even started back toward the hotel, but the flames were spreading too fast. It was a payphone on the sidewalk, so I started towards that. Just as my hand touched the phone to make the call, it started ringing. I answered. Hello? I said into the phone. The other end was silent for a moment. Then a voice came loudly into my ear, saying, One night. Keep the change. I dropped the phone and curled up on the sidewalk. I began to hear sirens coming in the distance and passed out from some mixture of pain and fear. I woke up sometime later in the hospital and found an officer waiting by my bedside. He asked what happened and I told him the story, leaving out no detail, even if it all made me sound crazy. He handed me a pen and paper and told me to write all this down. Then he walked into the hall where he radioed for a psych consult. After the night I had, that sounds about right. Maybe I am crazy. Signed, Sandra R. Cantry. After reading about the case of Sandra Cantry, I was left with more questions than answers. What killed all the guests at Homecoming Inn and Suites? Why did they come back from the dead? Why did they try to kill Sandra? Did they survive the fire? And what kept knocking the TV over? Further research has given me no answers to any of these questions. One question not in that list that was answered is what happened to Sandra Cantry. After a legal battle, Sandra was ruled to be sane and that her story was all fabrication. 
she was convicted of 35 counts of manslaughter and one count of arson. She'll spend the rest of her days at the Stone Park Women's Correctional Facility. Thank you for listening to The Storage Papers. Please visit our website at thestoragepapers.com where you can find all the latest information about the show, including our social media accounts and other various ways you can connect with us. This episode was written by Hunter Delametter and performed by Jeremy Enfinger. Special thanks to Nathan Lunsford for web design and episode art. Sound effects and music by Zapsplat. Episode music by Cody Ditzenberger. Additional episode music by Kevin McLeod at incomtech.com. Licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution 3.0. I'll be back very soon with yet another case file for you.